Hope you're excited about Philippians chapter 4 as you get your Bibles this morning. And uh, we take a final look into the joy ride. We have discovered throughout the book of Philippians that uh, Paul is full of joy. Over and over he talks about rejoicing and he talks about joy. And even again this morning in his closing words, he, he reiterates his joy in the church in Philippi, those Christian believers. And, and so we've, we've talked about how in this season of uncertainty and all the new levels of stress that everybody seems to be living and operating under, uh, we need joy. We need joy in the Lord. So Paul, uh, at this point in time, it is believed by most scholars that Paul has been dictating this letter. The first three and a half chapters, Paul has been dictating these, this letter to his friend Epaphroditus. Everybody say Epaphroditus. That's just fun to say, isn't it? Epaphroditus. But he's been dictating the letter. Now, most scholars then believe that these last words we're about to read, starting in verse number 10, are most likely Paul writing in his own words now. And it's almost like he's writing a thank you note. You enjoy getting a thank you note when you've done something for someone and they, they take the time to express appreciation. That blesses you, doesn't it? Well, Paul wants to express appreciation to the church in Philippi for all of the help that they've given him. He's had a relationship for about 10 years with them now. He's not always been there with them because he's been traveling, but he has made a few visits there. But it, relationally, they've been uh, uh, with each other for about 10 years, and they have supported his ministry uh, with gifts uh, on at least two different occasions. He references those in these verses this morning. But he's saying thank you to them. And a key verse out of what we're going to read this morning is verse number 12 where it says this. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Everybody say secret. Of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul's closing idea is this joy of contentment. So that's what we're going to talk about for the next few moments. We're going to discover this secrets to contentment. So let me define for you contentment. Now this comes from the dictionary, but contentment is a state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied. Or you could say to be full or to be fulfilled, to have enough. Now, that ties in with joy because when you are content, when you are satisfied, when you are, are fulfilled, there's joy because you're, you're not stressing and you're not worrying. You've got enough. But it really is key because it ties into our definition that we have worked with for the last 13 weeks of the word joy. Remember how we've defined it? It's not a quiz. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But here's how we've been defining the word joy through this whole series. Joy is a God-given sense of contentment no matter the circumstances. Did you catch it? A God's sense of fulfillment in that all is well, even when I don't have anything to my name and when I have everything to my name. Paul has learned, he says, the secret to contentment. So let's, uh, let's look at how these secrets are that he, he gives us. Beginning in verse number 10. He says, I rejoiced, there it is again, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need. In other words, he's not saying I'm, 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 not, uh, I'm not pulling a switcheroo on you here. I'm not trying to butter you up. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. The first secret that Paul would give us this morning about being content in this life is this. Value people more than possessions. Value people more than you value possessions. Throughout this letter, Paul has, has seen the love and the care that the Philippians were, were giving to him. Paul has had this relationship with them for uh, going on 10 years now, and they have been very involved in his life and in his ministry. In fact, uh, he makes this statement. I want to clarify something here so we understand better what he's saying. But he, he says this. He says, at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, it would sound like they just kind of pulled away from him, forgot about him for a season of time, and then he popped back up one day on their radar. Oh, yeah, you know, we should really appreciate Paul for what he's done for us. But that's not really what those words mean. That's in, in our translation, in our interpretation, in our English language, that's what comes across. But, but in the original uh, Greek language right there, what this means is it means a continual, a continual concern. So what he's saying is, is that when you made your first commitment to, to meet the need of my ministry, you continued into another commitment. You, you continually have been concerned for my well-being suffering for Christ, and in the ministry of the gospel that Christ has given me. So he's saying you, you've continually been involved. And then the second phrase there, he says, you have renewed your concern for me. That word concern literally is translated affection. You have continually loved me, he says. You have continually cared affectionately for me. Paul values this relationship he has with the believers in the city of Philippi more than his possessions. He says, I'm not asking you for anything. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. Now, Paul had a lot of needs, don't you think? He's writing this letter from prison. He's, he's chained to a guard under house arrest. He's, he's got quite a few needs, but he says, I'm not asking you for anything. I just want you to know I appreciate you because he values them. You see, relationships are important to God. I would say relationships are far more important to God than your possessions are. You see, uh, your possessions don't, don't go to heaven with you. Your possessions don't endure through eternity. But people do. People spend eternity somewhere. And the only thing we can take to heaven with us are people. People who have called on the name of Jesus and have been redeemed by his blood as we have. You see, if your possessions are more valuable to you than the people around you, then you're going you're gonna to lose them. You're going to lose the people. And eventually you're, you're going to lose the possessions. If possessions become your God... Jehovah God has a real unique way of removing the gods in our life, the little G gods. 
You see, if your possessions are more important than people, then you'll neglect time with them. You'll neglect time with your spouse. You'll neglect time with your kids. You'll neglect those special moments that you need to be there because you're climbing the ladder. You got to bring it in. You got to make the living. You got to provide. And, and yet you're pursuing this, this, uh, these possessions and this passion. In the meanwhile, people who are more important to God than your possessions are being devalued. You'll either neglect people if you value possessions more than people or you'll use people for your own value. And either way, God's not impressed nor pleased, right? People are more important to God than our possessions. Paul knew that stuff couldn't make him happy, but he found great joy in relationships even when he was hundreds of miles away and he didn't have cell phone, FaceTime, or Zoom. He had Epaphroditus who would move back and forth between Rome and Philippi, bringing messages back and forth, and a few other servants that would do the same. But he found value, enough so that he says, I greatly rejoice. He valued people more than he valued possessions. Let's look at the second secret that he has for us this morning concerning contentment. We pick up back again in verse 12, which we read earlier. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That a familiar verse to most of us, isn't it? It's an easy one to memorize. It's a good one to memorize. Because about the time you find yourself struggling spiritually or emotionally or physically, you can stand a little stronger. You can encourage your faith. I can do all things through Christ. I can deal with this through Christ. Because he gives me strength in the middle of it. Now the reason that I want to take a moment here and, and, and park on this one is because of the context. We can do all things through Christ. Anything Jesus wants us to do, we can do because we are empowered by His Holy Spirit. But the context of that promise that we quote so often, verse 13, is in the context of being content, being satisfied, not having to look somewhere else for anything else. We're satisfied, we're fulfilled, we're content. How can we do that? Because Jesus strengthens us. In the middle of a materialistic, mammon, spirit-filled world, Jesus gives us strength. And he gives us the fulfillment. So the second secret is this. Elevate your personal relationship with Christ. You want to walk in the contentment? Put Jesus first. Get this relationship with Jesus on fire. Get passionate about going deeper into relationship with Jesus, knowing him more, hearing him more, learning more of him, seeing his activity, discerning his activity in your life. Get closer to him. Elevate the relationship of Christ above all. Paul had wants, right? I mean, he's human. He had wants just like you and I have wants. He also had needs like you and I have needs. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most likely Paul's needs were greater than our needs. I'll just say 
based on the fact that he was beaten up so many times and beat up with rocks and sticks and clubs and chained to guards and chained to prison walls and shipwrecked and all other kind of madness that went around trying to destroy him and the gospel. Paul has more needs than I have. I might sulk one day and think, woe is me, I don't have this or that. I just got to remember Paul and just realize, no, (laughs) I probably have just about everything I need right now. So Paul knew what it was to have needs, but he didn't allow those wants or those needs to drive him. What drove Paul to be content when he had enough and when he didn't have enough, when he was hungry and when he was well-fed, what drove him was his personal relationship to Jesus Christ. He found that if he stayed focused on Christ, he could endure anything. He could be content. So, so I'm not getting food in this prison today. Jesus is with me. Jesus is for me. Paul knew to put Christ at the very center of it all. He couldn't depend on people. He couldn't depend on things. But he knew he could depend on Jesus. He found his satisfaction and his strength in Christ. Paul knew that in times of prosperity, in times of poverty, Jesus was the one constant. As the scriptures say, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul was changing locations constantly. Paul was in favor with some people one minute, and they were trying to kill him the next. Everything changed rapidly around Paul in his 30-plus years at this point of serving Jesus. But he knew there was one constant, and that was Jesus. So he put his hope and his trust in Christ, and he found that Christ would give him the strength to endure any and all circumstances. So that's why he could have joy. He was content. Paul knew what Jesus said. We have it recorded in Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Now read this last, verse 33, with me. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. How? Seek Christ. So Jesus says, don't worry about your life, watch your eat or drink. Now, is it important that we eat and drink? Absolutely. We can only live so long without it. So it is important. But what Jesus is saying is he's saying, don't worry. Don't, don't make that your, your sole pursuit. Don't, don't, don't take it beyond the meeting of the need. Anything beyond the meeting of the need is you worrying that you don't have enough food and enough water. He says, look, put God's kingdom first. And then all of these things you need, you will have access to. You cannot out-pursue God. You can never run ahead of God to the point that you run out of anything. God's already been there. He's already planted the seed for what you need. He's already put the people where they need to be that you're going to need help from or that he's going to use to bless or to help you. He's already put it all into place. So Paul says, Jesus strengthens me. You know, what I got out of this this week was that Jesus doesn't want to compete with 
the little gods in our life, the little g, small g gods, things. So he's going to empower us to tear them down. He doesn't want them competing in our lives. So he says, look, let me just help you with this. I'll help you squish it. I'll give you the strength you need to put me before stuff. It's Jesus who makes you content in life by filling you with his Holy Spirit and fulfilling you in all of the areas that you hunger. Remember, he is the bread of life and he is the living water. What do we need to survive in life? Water and food. Let's be real. I'm glad we have clothes. We all are right about this moment in time, but you can live without clothes. I mean, there are some people doing that in various parts of the world today. You can live without a lot of things, but you cannot live without water. And you cannot live without food. And Chuck and Lisa Lerner got me on this show called Alone Now. Thank you very much. And I don't know if you're familiar with the show on History Channel or not, but it's people that they drop 10 people out in the middle of nowhere, Vancouver Island. And they're all individually spread apart, so they are alone. And the only thing they have are four cameras so that they can video document their adventure and ten items that they are allowed to bring with them. And that's it. And they have to find water. And they have to find food. And the one thing that makes most of them go home first, relationships. So Paul says, look, We need food, we need water. I know know all that. Jesus says, I know you need food, you need water, and you need to value people because you need the relationships. Everything you need, Jesus provides. He puts you in a family, the family of God. Paul knew to make Christ his priority. Put Christ at the center. Make your pursuit of your career about Jesus first. Make your pursuit of your education toward that career about Christ first. Make every pursuit you have in life about Jesus first. You'll find contentment. Let's look at the third secret, beginning in verse number 14 now. Paul says, Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. How special are they to him? Nobody would help Paul share the gospel and spread the gospel except this church right here. I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Verse number 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid. Notice this, more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. He says, I'm not asking for anything now. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Notice this. Their gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing 
to God. In verse 19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. That's another verse that's pretty easy to memorize. Another verse that we, we like a whole lot. My God shall supply all of my needs according to His glory and riches in Christ Jesus. That's a faith builder right there to know that He takes care of us. But again, it's in a certain context. So the third secret then now that Paul gives us concerning contentment is this. Trust God's plan of provision. Trust God as your provider. Trust God. God's plan is different than the world's system for prosperity. You see, the world system says this, he, with the most, he who dies with the most toys wins. Nah, your neighbor wins. Because when you die, your neighbor's going to acquire most of your goods in an estate sale for far less than you paid for them when you originally bought them. Yeah, he wins. He gets the ski do. He gets the craftsman tool set for 10 bucks. That's the world system. God's plan is that you honor him first. That you honor him with what he blesses you with. Paul says in verse 18, he says, Your gifts to me and to my ministry were like a fragrant offering, pleasing to the Lord. He's making a reference all the way back to the Old Testament worship at the tabernacle in the temple. And the burnt offerings, that, that, that smoke would, would arise with the, the burnt offering. Now, we all live in Texas, right? And I would, I would be okay with a cologne that was hickory smoke flavored. I can walk outside and I smell somebody. Well, we live right behind a row of restaurants. <laughs> Logan's or somebody's always got something smoking. I love it. I smoke stuff sometimes when we don't even need meat. I throw meat on it just because I like to sit out there and relax a little bit. And <sighs> For Texans, that's a fragrant aroma. But the smoke would arise from the burnt offerings. The incense offerings would then, would then melt with those and would, would fragrance the, the burnt offerings. And it would go before the Lord as a, as a picture of our intercession. But it would, be, it would be to the Lord a fragrant offering. You know why it was fragrant to the Father God when those offerings were brought? It wasn't because of the smell. It was because of the heart. They were bringing those offerings out of obedience to Him. When they brought their burnt offering and their incense offering, they're obeying what he has given them to do as an act of worship. And in doing so, they are honoring him. You see, that lamb they brought, if it came from their own flock, it cost them money. If they had to buy a lamb to bring for their sacrifice, it cost them money. It cost them something to worship God. And to God, that was pleasing because it meant they loved him more than they loved stuff. So Paul's secret is this, trust God's plan. You see, he says, my God will meet all of your needs. Remember, he said, he said I, I, I don't have need right now. I'm amply supplied right now. I just want what is credited to you to be yours. 
Credited where? Credited before the throne of God. That God sees their act of putting him first by helping Paul in his need when they had their own needs. And he credits that to them. And so Paul says, I know this because you so willingly invested. My God will supply all of your needs. That's the principle of God throughout the Bible. Let me give you just a, a random sampling. You see, your giving initiates a supernatural exchange between you and God. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be poured into your lap. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth. With what part of your wealth? The first fruit of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see the supernatural exchange? Honor God with the first fruit and watch him multiply the remaining fruit in your fields. And then one of my faves, <laughs> but I think probably one of the top five most profound, life-changing verses in the Bible. I'll explain it. Malachi 3, verse 10. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food, he says, in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now here's the exchange. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Why is this life changing? Because it is the exchange that God offers to you. You bring the whole tithe, the first, the tithe was the first, the first ten of your fruit, for us, it's the first 10 of our increase. You bring that to him, honoring him as God first in your life, and he will provide for you. He says, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you, we've been faithful tithers from day one of marriage. I've been a faithful tither from the very first paycheck I got after I got saved in 1981, and I'm not a millionaire. I like boots. So I've bought a few pair of boots over the years. But I've never been without what I need. I have never been without what I need. You see, his abundance of throwing open the floodgates of heaven doesn't necessarily mean always financial provision. Oh, he's going to make sure your God will supply all of your needs. That flowing open, throwing open the floodgates of heavens means God's going to be active in your existence. That means He's going to give you favor where you need favor. Why? Because you favored God first. He's going to open doors for you that nobody else can open. Why? Because you opened the door of heaven through your expression of love and obedience to Him. So Paul says... You want contentment? Do what Jesus said. Don't worry. Don't worry about these things. Do what God's equipped you to do with the energy God's equipped you to do it with and trust Him from there. 
But don't stay up at night wrestling and tossing and turning how to get more and how to get that. Trust God. Contentment is found in honoring God first. You say, but pastor, people have told me this, I can't afford to tithe. You really can. Because he's not asking you to give something you don't have. He's asking for 10%. If you don't have anything, then you don't give anything. But if you got a buck, you give him 10 cents. And if you got $100,000 this week, you give him $10,000. I'm glad you did that because I was going for 1000 <laughs> I like your math. 10000 And you say, well, it'd be easier to give when I have the 100000 No, it's not. It's not, an, it's not at all. Because it's 10%. It's just 10. No matter whether you got a buck or you got 100000 bucks. It's 10%. And he says, trust me with that 10. He'll help you manage the other 90. He'll put his favor on the other 90. And you won't know how it's all working, but it'll be there. You'll have what you need. Paul says you're going to have to trust the Lord. So contentment is the most freeing, fulfilling, faith-filled thing you can have in your life. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life and the living water, he's saying, I'm everything you need. And I am a friend when we need people. He is a friend, he says, that sticks closer than a brother. So he's all that we have need of. And when we put him first, we find contentment that everything else flows from that relationship. You see, this contentment in Christ will free you from worry it establishes peace of mind in your own mind. It brings you joy because you're not wondering and worrying how it's all going to fit together. You're trusting Him. And it frees you to enjoy the love of the Lord. Contentment. Value people over possessions. Elevate your personal relationship with Christ and trust God's provision. So what are your takeaways this morning? First, if you're, if you're empty in life and you just continually seem to be discontent in life, relationships aren't fulfilling to you, the things you've been striving to obtain and grab hold of have not been fulfilling to you, Jesus is what your soul is longing for. Jesus is the missing part to your heart. You've tried relationships, you've tried things, stuff, but it's always left you empty. As Paul found, Jesus was the only constant in the midst of everything changing. Jesus is your constant. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's made an invitation for you to receive him into your heart and to fill that place. Fulfilling your life by filling your life with his presence. The word of God says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart God raised, us from the, raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from the punishment of sin. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood 
for the forgiveness of your sin that you could have that relationship and be fulfilled in this life. Things will take on a whole new meaning when Christ becomes the center. If you haven't, I invite you to ask Christ in to your heart. Let him be Lord.